You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. And welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, uh, and welcome to a very special CFL family uh, stay-at-home edition of the podcast. With me is, as usual, Cliffy D. Hey, hey. And with us, who is somebody who hasn't, God, he, he hasn't been with us since the very first season of this podcast, And but this gentleman is always... A, a, a real joy to speak with. Uh, he is the uh, he is the head statistician for the CFL, Steve Daniel. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I always love it. You guys are so on to the things that really matter about our league. You, you just kind of know what to ask, and, and your insight into it's really special. Uh, that's appreciated. Um, first, uh, obviously, with the the strange situation that we're all going through right now. Um, uh, first, I think the first and foremost, uh, I want to find out. Uh, I'll go, well, I'll start with Cliff first. Cliff, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? Well, I mean, it's definitely an unusual circumstance. Uh, this is definitely not something that any of us had anticipated, uh, despite supposedly getting all this information well beforehand. But I think a lot of us may have downplayed just how severe this uh, COVID nineteen is, and as a result, we're all kind of forced to scramble or kind of we basically had to call an audible so to speak to use football terms as far as how we live our lives and it's uh it's been really really interesting to say the least i mean the the fact that we can't really spend time with uh friends family unless they're living in in your house Mm -hmm. uh definitely presents a challenge a lot of people are either working from home or not working at all so that's even more of a, a stress uh Anyone who's an essential worker nowadays, uh, like they're basically working to live and living to work. So that's also uh, something else that I don't think a lot of people were expecting. And it's just been it, – it's really been an interesting time. I can't say interesting good or bad or other. It's just it, – it really is what it is. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around a lot of it myself to be quite honest. I mean this is – there's definitely a lot of things that have changed and I don't think they're going to go back to the way they used to be. And I think we're just going to have to accept that as a whole. And really, truly, like, it's, it's just really – I always like to say, what a time to be alive. And I'm saying that, but yeah. not necessarily with the positive tone that it would be. But, I mean, it's just it, – again, it really is what it is as far as the times we're living in right now. Yeah. No, it's true. And especially with Quebec, at least as, as of this taping, you know, Quebec is the epicenter – for Canada, which in Montreal happens to have half the, you know, half the cases, which I'm very, you know, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised about. So you were saying uh, working to live and living to work. I think we need to modify a little, little bit. It's actually live. You got to live to live. Actually, you got to be careful to live. So even though you're working, you got to be careful. So, you mm-hmm. know, not all of us uh, are able to work at home. But um, and Steve, you being out on, on the West Coast, uh, what is it like for you right now? Well, to begin with, it there isn't an enormous amount of trepidation with you know the proximity to um china where it started but you know it's it's a world thing it's not just one country and you know different countries have had six differing levels of success and 
bringing this under control or, or not. And I think if you look south, they have more cases now than three or four of the other next countries. But for us in British Columbia, it, it was frightening because of the traffic zone. But we're blessed with um, public health officer Bonnie Henry, who is simply, Dr. Henry's amazing, and our minister, um, delightfully bilingual for the French community in British Columbia as well. Yeah. We trust them. And for us, that really matters. And my wife and I are just taking care of each other. I'm used to working from home. Um, it shut down my university on-site curb. It hasn't changed um, the other side of that. I can still do a lot of my research from, from here. But uh, we're just taking care of one another. That's the way we put it. Just the two of us are taking care of one another. That's good. That's good. You know, obviously, we, we want to make sure that we're all safe. And it is just a weird time. But, I mean, it's. I think for me, guys, is that, you know, sport is basically sports are shut down. And, it's, you know, we're hearing a couple of things about the CFO, which we'll talk about, too. And um, But I think one one thing today, and I put it on social media, I know, Cliff, you saw it, and Something I really didn't expect, and I think it's it's a really a sign of the times, and it makes you wonder what it's going to be like when we all get back to, quote-unquote, what – I guess, quote-unquote, normal or whatever is normal at that time. But the the Alouette's front office um, actually had – or whether it's his idea or not. I had my season ticket manager call me today while, and just to ask how I was doing. And that, A, surprised me. Um, but in this day and age right now, it was the nicest thing that I think that could ever have occurred, uh, to know that, you know, that I would hope that at the time that I wasn't just a, you know, it shows that I'm not just a, a, a season ticket number. I'm not necessarily one who supplies money to the team, but it's just showing that, um, just wanting to know how you're doing, how your family was doing, et cetera. So I was, I was, I was surprised, uh, but I was, again, it was very appreciative that they did that. So I'm hoping everybody who's listening to this, I'm hoping that, and maybe hopefully after seeing what I put on social media, that some of these other teams will do the exact same thing because uh, once we get back to whatever we can, if we get, get, can get back into the stands or however many people are allowed back into the stands, then um, it will, you know, it means quite a bit. So um, I wish it upon everybody who happens to be a season ticket holder that these teams will do the exact same thing. So kudos, well, uh, kudos to the Alouettes. Yeah. And actually, uh, I, I too also for my ticket rep got a, uh, just a quick email, just a quick check in to see, you know, make sure everything's okay. And that, you know, make sure, you know, me and my family are doing well and that, which is definitely a nice touch. I mean, just, just a little line like that, just a little something that says, hey, as you just said, like, you're not just a number to the organization. Like, they actually care about you and they want to make sure that you're you're doing well in that, which, again, it's, it's just little things like that that teams can do. It costs next to nothing. And for a lot of fans, I, I know that would make, you know, that, that's a nice reminder that, hey, this team actually cares about me. They don't they want me more than just for what I bring to the table, like financially to the team and support wise like they. They do care about me as a person, which is definitely nice, especially nowadays, like when physical dis- distancing is all the rage and you can't really interact with people unless it's virtually. So yeah. just something simple like a phone call or an email or a text or anything like that. Like sometimes it's a little thing like that can really make a huge difference. For sure. I mean, Steve, I, do you know, is, are the Lions or, the, or any, you heard of the Lions doing something like that? or uh, I was just about CFL? to comment. 
Tim, I, um, Cliff, it's great to hear you say that because the Lions under Rick Lelisher, he's a good friend, and I've got plenty of friends, as you can imagine, having been around them for a long time, that they're the kind that reach out too. And, and as you said, Cliff, so much better than I could, just in the way that they do it, they just, and, and you, Tim, they want to know how you are. Yeah. And I just think that comes from um, leadership like uh, Rick gives you. And, you know, this is going to be a different world. You know, I don't know when the next time I'll shake someone's hand, but I think you can be just as sincere in other ways. And part of that sincerity is just having the team reach out to you, too. That's really wonderful. Exactly. Um, obviously, guys, the, the CFL uh, had some uh, – I think it was an announcement that we all expected coming, especially after deciding to postpone uh, training camp, which is supposed to uh, – rookie camps are supposed to start, I think, anywhere between May 15th to the 17th. And now everything is uh, basically shuttered until uh, till the beginning of July. Um, I know, Steve, you are – uh, you may hear things before, you know, you know, guys like Cliff and I might, being that you know the position that you are in. But um, did it surprise you at all? I mean, I, I I know the answer, but I have to ask it this way. But did, did it surprise you at all on when it was done and how it was done? Not really. I think that having been in, we've we've had the benefit of what. Uh, Commissioner Ambrosi calls a, a weekly huddle. And it's an open forum for any staff member um, to ask these kind of questions. And those questions aren't merely about uh, employment. They're about our league's strategy. And it hasn't really been a surprise because they've been really open with us about it. And I think they're doing the things that make the most sense. Because quite honestly, I can't imagine a sporting event going ahead for a fair while, and and yet I, these people who feel they can model COVID nineteen really have no clue. If, if with modeling, you need data and experience in the data, and we don't. Everything our, our French health officer said: you only know you've peaked when you're looking back at it. And, and the same can be said about when we would schedule activities. Yeah. Uh, you know the right, you know the time is right when it's right on top of you. I know you got to plan ahead. But, you know, I think the CFL is as cautious as anyone. I, yeah. And, Go ahead, Cliff. I'm sorry. All right. I, I was going to say, just sort of piggyback on that. Like, I know uh, Commissioner Ambrosi has talked about numerous scenarios are in play, including possibly starting the season at Labor Day and just having less games or moving the Grey Cup into December. I from what you've heard so far, do you see any of these as real possibilities or is it really just spitballing and maybe just worst case scenario kind of stuff? I see it as real. Uh, and, and I think the best test of that is um, that the idea was floated that the minimum would be eight games. Well, you can play every other team once. Uh, I can see us being really flexible around a playoff format. I can see us, well, if you take eight games, that would take up September and October. It might push the playoffs only a week. An eight-game season would be sensible for us uh, under any circumstances right now. Any more than that is pushing it because it's a little bit like Major League Baseball. You know, they, they got to go through training camp all over again mm-hmm. to get them started. I can see something limited. Uh 
social distancing, you can still do it. You know, like you guys just said, less people in the stands. Um, golf, for example, the golf course just opened around the corner from us yesterday. And that works for me. You know, so baseball maybe is a game that, that might lend itself a bit to that. Football would be really tough. So I think we'd have to be really careful. But I treat these as real. I don't treat this as spitballing at all. No, I, I would think – and I, I've always said, and Cliff knows this, and I, I've said it on social media. I always said there would be a 10- to 12-game season. I mean, I didn't really say if that included you know preseason or not. But um, you know, Labor Day might be the right thing to do. But it, it, it gives – when I spoke with the, the you know my rep today for the Alouettes, he, he, made, he made an interesting comment. It's funny that you said that. Uh, you're talking about the crowds too. Is that you know how would we be how if we go back to it? How would we be allowed into the stadium? I mean, is it the fact that if you have a if you have a let's say a stand at Percival Molson that holds holds a hundred people, let's say one row on the lower deck, would they only allow a third of that so you can get the spacing in between? Where you have to give your your colleague literally a, a virtual high five when they score a touchdown? You, you know, how, would it be once every two rows that you would have fans? Because you know, you if you want to keep that that distancing, but obviously there's there's know. no model. No, no, there's I, not. You, you're you're making stuff up as you go, and this is so unprecedented that it's just there's just no real. Okay, well, how did we do it last time? That's the normal reaction, and there isn't that. So I'm curious about just more broadly than even than football how do we start to reconnect face to face yeah and that, that's a pretty darn good question i think it, or, or, or another way of looking at it too is uh, this idea that the nfl and uh, major league baseball has been floating about core well having all the teams play in one location with no fans in the stands now with football being such an interactive sport for fans and players and such could that work as well? Is that something that's even feasible, or is that something we'd even want to consider? I'd like to see Major League Baseball be the, the first activity that comes back that is in one stadium, because then we can televise it and give people things to get excited about, yeah. to have some sort of um, reaction, something to watch on TV that's not um, endless sports center, you know, uh, worst plays of 2008. <laughs> I, I I don't watch that. I've been watching slightly different things, and I just think baseball might lend itself to that more than most, other than you know, say golf or tennis, because there's a natural distancing in those in those sports. Well, what's interesting too is that you, know, you mentioned just that you know Major League Baseball them them floating ideas of. Uh, you know, playing at a, at a at a neutral location like maybe in Arizona, or or this rumor about the NHL playing in North Dakota, and, and I'm like, you know, there really there's a sport now that really some people don't call it a sport, some people do, and Cliff, I think you know where I'm going with this, is that you know with uh, uh, with uh, pro wrestling, currently they they have had you know they're doing these shows, uh, they're doing these shows with with no crowds. At all, I mean, they just did, Steve. They just did WrestleMania, one of their their Super Bowl with no crowd at all, and this is something that was supposed to be in Tampa Bay this year in an outdoor stadium. So they're doing something, mind you. They have the option that they can tape this stuff. You can't do that with live sports. Mm-hmm. But as we're seeing with TSN Sports Center coming back 
from home. You see that how that uh, all the late night talk shows are doing just that. Also, they're just not doing it online. They're you know Stephen Colbert and and you know Trevor Noah and, and uh, Seth Meyers and et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're doing it from their home and they're actually doing a show. It's it's the new. It's almost the new norm. And uh, I think so too. And it's cheaper. Yeah. It really makes you wonder how things are going to change after this. This is going to change the world in so many different ways. And, yeah. You know, today I was in a, uh, since I've split my life now between UBC and the CFL, I was in a meeting with 50 different students and faculty thinking about, well, what's September going to look like? And I'll tell you, there's a, a move within UBC to make this more permanently online. I'm not a keener on it. I don't mind it, but, you know, you lose something when you can't um, access people's uh, expressions and their presence. That's a lot of our communication. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... And and that's what I'm thinking about as far as, like, football goes. Like, what's the one thing you're expected to do when your team's on defense? make noise like that's that plays a huge factor into the actual psychology of the game itself and playing the playing a football game in an empty stadium you're not going to have that you're not going to have that psychological edge over your opponent when it comes to something like that like there's no no home field advantage as far as i'm concerned when it comes to that so as you said like just interacting with your students or watching a football game and not being there i mean like these are things that could become normal and I don't know if people are really going to be able to accept it quite so easily. It's going to be a challenge. Yeah, well, I, I, that, I think it's one of the few times where the CFL can actually wave the piping in noise into a stadium, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The, one of the worst uh, uh, instances of that was in Seattle. Uh, the, the Kingdom was, right, was built right next to uh, a railway yard. And so you could hear the railway cars and trains, you know, taken apart, put together. You can hear the sound of the horn. Wow. Well, they move when they change locations to Safeco. That's not right adjacent. So they pipe in those railway sounds into the stadium. <laughs> and the fans oh. actually like it. And they're honest about it. Yeah. But if if you've missed the – when they told you, you're thinking, where am I? <laughs> if, if you didn't – if you weren't on hand when they told you. Uh, you think, oh, really? There's a train coming through the stadium? Yeah. It's actually kind of cute, but yeah. Uh, I think games without fans have a role. Yeah, it's not the same, but, but that gives us something to engage with. True, but the big question, though, and and, and let's, let's, let's put that towards, I mean, Major League Baseball is one thing, but what about the CFL, though, Steve and Cliff? Can the CFL actually survive with no fans and just based off of the broadcast money. Do you think that's that, that's a that's feasible, Cliff? Uh, not very. I mean, this really is a gate-driven league, and again, the fact that they, this league has really prided itself on being so fan-friendly and trying to get as many people as possible into the stadium and get them interacting with the team. So you take that away. And yeah, the diehard fans are going to watch no matter what. We see fans watching every single game, even if their team's not playing. Yeah. And that those fans you don't aren't the ones you have to sell to. It's the ones that are kind of casual, the ones that are, you know, want to see the product and they're kind of interested. And if they're not getting that exact experience that 
we're used to and, and what we're, we're we're looking for and what we're seeking, then I, I think that's going to make a huge difference. I, I don't think they're going to get as attached to it, and they're not going to develop that that love for the game that we've all well, developed. But there, uh, there's another model here, though, along the lines of what you both touched on. I think is what you do is you take the economics of the game. This is hyper naive, super naive. But what about taking the economics, the revenue, the costs, and just multiplying everything by 0.05 and say, okay, a guy that was making $36 million now is making somewhat more realistic you know, than that making $1.8 million instead of $36 million. And does anyone have to make $36 million a year at an entertainment thing? Maybe they do. That's the economics. But if we ratchet it down, since no one's going to have any money after this, um, in terms of discretionary income, because where's the government going to be in rebuilding itself, too? Mm-hmm. So I think if the economics just takes a ratchet down some, maybe there's a model in there somewhere. Can the league, though, survive? I mean, yes, all all the all the player contracts are going to be prorated. As you said, if it's eight games, it'll be prorated to eight games. Um, or, or, or their their checks will be, you know, uh, prorated to that that amount. So, I mean, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the NFL, yes, can survive if they end up doing that. That's you know, that's farther along in the year. That's you know, their training camps in September. Uh, NHL, I don't know what they're going to be doing. Major League Baseball, I don't know. Uh, some of the minor league sports. Minor, you know, minor football into the indoor football. I don't know if they would play or if they could survive. But if the if they go to that model, Steve, of playing a few games just to try to get back to some normalcy, do you think? Do you think that the league can survive by doing that, even if it's for for a short time? A short I think time. for a while we could, not for the long haul, because as Cliff says, it's really an interactive game. Yeah. You know, you've got to have fans that are excited. And, and the live component of football is really important. I think it's much more important than baseball, Yeah, uh, in my view, because baseball is a game that's by definition slower. It's not a worse game. It's just slower. And so that's why you have 102,000 in a stadium in Michigan to watch a game for two and a half hours. Yeah. But I think in the long term, that would be really difficult. But I think as a recovery mechanism, Absolutely. Look at the English Premier League. Aren't they talking about that? I, I, and that's I, I a they, successful league. What did they start bringing? One of the China or Japan? China was was brought back there. I think their basketball league decided not to. I know Aussie rule football started up for one week and then they stopped. And I mean, it's because we've seen that. If anybody has watched the the games on TSN, you know the sizes of the crowds that they get for Aussie rule football. It's they're, they're it's massive. Oh. I watch it. We get it here, of course, yeah. TSN. So yeah. I watch it now and then, and it's really interesting. It's oh, a good it game. Yeah. Um, you brought up something before, and you were talking about history, and obviously you're the historian here, and I wanted to ask you this question. Um, you know, is with the with the CFL pushing back the start of the training camp and obviously canceling at least, depending on, up to a maximum of three games right now, because for the Alouettes it would only be two because they have a bye week. Yeah. Uh, they have a bye week. Has this ever occurred in Canadian pro history? I was trying to do some quick research, and I, I, it, I, it, I think I found it. But is it true 
that the IRFU, the Interprovincial Rugby Football Union, which is a precursor to the CFL, uh, at yeah, least in the, the East, did yep. they they canceled the season from twenty uh, from nineteen fifteen to nineteen twenty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Grey Cup was not played. Okay, from from nineteen sixteen to nineteen nineteen for for two reasons, primarily the World War One. And then complications from the Spanish flu. But also, and most people have forgotten this, due to a rules dispute, the IRFU is the predecessor, direct historical predecessor for today's CFL East Division. Right. It, it flows right into the, into the other. In 1940, the IRFU played and then canceled the 1941 through 44 seasons. They played in 1945. Out West, they played in 1941. There were only three teams. And then they canceled 42, 43, and 44, and the 45 regular season. And they started up with playoffs in 1945. So there's precedent there. The, there's only been one game itself that's been scheduled that's ever been canceled and not replayed. And, and that was in 1936. Uh, due to really terrible prairie weather between Calgary and Edmonton, they just simply didn't play it. Okay. But the last delay we've had, or at least rescheduling or postponement, was in uh, 2001. There were three or four games that, or maybe a few more, that were um, played a week or two later. For, uh, because of 9-11. Because of 9-11. Yeah. So those are the, the major historical um, interruptions in what we've had. So primarily around each of the great wars and... Um, just that one off in 1936, and then as you said, the because of the Spanish flu too. Because a lot of people need to remember too. I mean, it's, all, it's been almost basically a hundred years since yeah. since that's reared its head, and I think it's pretty funny that we're going through something like this. And so, yeah. uh, they didn't award the Stanley Cup, and I think it was 1918 they didn't play it, but they played the other years despite the war. But uh, Canadian, what was known then as really just Canadian senior football, it was amateur at the time, right? Um, professionalism was considered a dirty word uh, in those days. Um, they canceled. They didn't play the Grey Cup for. It wasn't known as the Grey Cup in those days, right. but it was. Uh, they played for the Grey Cup, but it was still called the Canadian Senior or the Dominion Senior Football Championship. They didn't play it for four years. Okay. Does um, the question to both of you? Do, do you how? I know we were talking about it a little bit before, but. How how is this going to change? God, everything. I mean, you have you talk about you know the movie theaters. They got to open up, and how they're going to do that again? You, you know, you have companies like AMC, a huge you know a huge theater company in the U.S., which is possibly going to go bankrupt because of you know they're you know they're because of all the rent that they owe and stuff like that. And I think they're doing it like a lot of people too. They're saying we're not paying rent because we're not earning any money. So how? And neither are you. So, um, I've got a good analogy to that. Okay. We live in a townhouse complex, and in the West, we've had most of our townhouse complexes suffer an enormous, just unconscionable increase in, in insurance premiums to the tune of three, four hundred percent. So my question along the lines of what you just asked is, certain sectors are continuing to get their money, yeah. like the insurance industry and uh, landlords and things like that. So. We're all going to have to take a step back at this because, as you just said, a movie company goes out of business. Well, who goes into that space? 
um, our economy is just ratcheted. Okay. And uh, he runs the sports market uh, report. He is a smart man, and I'm sure he's all over this. So if you access Tom Mayonek's uh, radio show, uh, he'll have a lot of answers like that because he really knows what he's talking about. Okay. Uh, it's weird times. Um I'm, I want to try to bring this for, I know we're just, you know, it's just a, a conversation and talking about, you know, so far, everything that has occurred, Cliff, and I know, you know, we're supposed to go into training camp and we had some ideas on what we wanted to do this year, especially with the new players and stuff like that. I mean, so far, uh, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's easy to say, what are you going to miss? But I mean, how to you how has how has cliffy d who likes sports how how has it changed how has it changed for you i think the biggest change for me is just the fact that how, how do i like one of the things that i truly love doing is talking about sports whether it's writing about it or being on the podcast with you or and just being able to watch it and interact with other people especially online as well like that's been such a boon is being able to share and express thoughts about what you're watching, whether it's football or basketball or hockey or any other, any sport in general, like that's the sports in and of themselves are so interactive with other people. And to not have that anymore is a major, major void. And we, we, we all want it back so badly. And if we do, even when we do get it back, it's definitely not going to be the same as it used to be. And I think that's going to be a huge adjustment for everybody as well. Uh, I mean, you know, that's it. Like I said, I'm really hopeful. I have, I still have a lot of hope that we can come through this and have it return to where, not that we take for granted that we can socially uh, interact closely like we've always done, but I think we're going to be able to get there if we just do the right things. I really believe that it just with adjustments. Yeah. yeah, like there's definitely adjustments that will have to be made. Like I said, like I said, there's certain things we just cannot go back to doing, and we're just gonna have to accept that. Whether whether we like it or not, we're just gonna have to accept it. Like for example, like I'm just thinking, like one of the greatest things about the CFL is being able to interact with the players. And for me, it's like you know meeting new players and you know giving them a high five and you know shaking their hands and you know welcoming them to the team. And are we gonna be able to do that now? And I. I I don't see it happening right away, and I, I really hope we can eventually get back to like find some sort of medium that we can still have that same experience, that same feeling, even if we're not doing the exact same steps as we were doing before. And I think that's going to be uh, again that's, that's going to be one of those things where we're just going to have to kind of play it by ear, like just kind of figure it out, and we'll 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 find a way to make it happen. We'll we'll find a way to get back to at least some of what we're used to. It's just definitely going to be a lot different and. It's kind of scary, but it's also kind of, I guess, kind of fascinating from like a social a sociological point of view, just to see how are we going to react to when we get when we get the thing back that we want the most, but there's going to be conditions to it. How are how are we as a people going to be able to adapt and adjust to it? I think that's going to be one of the the, the real interesting things if and when we get sports back. Media scrums are going to be completely different. <laughs> yeah, I don't sure. think you'll find uh, media in the locker rooms anymore. I think there's a lot of things we're going to have to get used to. But like I said, I'm hopeful that that we can at least get back to playing the games. 
and with the right testing and the right health measures, you're going to be able to do it. I think the world maybe took for granted a little bit. And then that vaccine, hopefully, which will be around in 12 months. Have either of you ever read or watched War of the Worlds? Yes. It's fascinating because it's not the the humans that killed off the invading Martians. It was the microbes that killed them off. That's true. You're right. And so H.G. Wells wrote that in like 1884 or whatever he did. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating how close he came. And this is, you know, you hear that that's what I was turning away just to look at this sort of Dean Koontz thing about predicting it and all that. He didn't really. But H.G. Wells did. And I think he's, War of the Worlds is kind of a warning in a way to take care of the world and, and each other. And if that's the best thing that comes out of this, wow, we've gained a lot. So my wife just happens to be the singularly most positive person on the planet in a good way, <laughs> not, not in any blind sense. Yeah. And she keeps me up each day and, and um, in a really positive frame of mind is what I mean. And that makes a difference to me. And if, if that's what comes out of this, that sort of, hey, let's cherish what we got, then maybe that's a good thing. For sure. And, and, and we're, as I asked Cliff before, too, for you, Steve, I mean, you're on, you're on, a, on the totally on a, on, a, on a different side of the coin, you know, when it comes to, yes, you're a fan, but... You're, there's also prep that you you yourself usually do leading up to the beginning of the of the next CFL season, and I'm sure that's been totally thrown into disarray. Considering that, uh, you know, uh, training camps have been postponed. The first up to the first three weeks have been have been canceled. You know, maybe changes to this to the schedules. Maybe changes. Maybe it'll be just be what's currently on the docket for the last eight weeks. No changes there. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if teams have already, you know. Uh, you know, accrued costs for, <clears throat> for for flights and stuff like that. So, how how well, is it for you on your side? Well, we all took uh, pay cuts, like so many others in the world have done. The CFL is no exception. Um, one thing I will say is that our league management, because um, and I say this because a lot of those people, of course, are my friends. We've all gone through that, and they've been really fair with us. Uh, if they weren't, I would say that too. Yeah. But they um, communicate with us consistently, and they had to do it just like some of the teams have done, and all of the teams are going to wind up having to do. So you have to take step back, steps back in, in um, um, you know, short steps. But I think this gives us an opportunity to maybe work on the data a little bit. I've already given, I think, three different presentations to teams and the league. Um, I met with the general managers and head coaches and presidents uh, by Zoom, and it turned out to be really a, a positive experience um, getting the message across about analytics. Um, talked to the BC Lions uh, in person. Uh, it was like February, I think, you know, before this kind of even got really bad. And that, for that perspective, we've been able to think about the way we do our business a, a little more but, of course, that can't replace just getting ready to play games. Uh, I'm going to miss that in uh, in a month or well, a couple months. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm, we're just doing things to get ready in the best way we can like anybody. Yeah. Do you see, <clears throat> from what you have heard and gone through, do you see there being a... A, a deadline to decide on where, on if the 2020 season will be played or not? Yeah, I think uh, 
you probably need a month before you started anything. So I think it's got to have really improved a great deal by Canada Day. And and showing that, you know, I I hear this flatten the curve all day every day. Yeah, no. endlessly. I I don't I don't even think that way. The way I think is is are we doing the right thing socially to make this go away right. as best we can, including developing a vaccine. So if we're still getting and I it's interesting we listen to our provincial health officer. It's like a ritual my wife have. Uh, and I have every day at three o'clock and I write the numbers down and I graph them on my own and I'm just trying to get a sense from that of the number of active cases we have in BC and, and of course that you would have in Quebec is that changing and at the moment in BC it's been pretty flat it's got to start going down or else there's really no date you could pick Tim no yeah no I, I it's you know you hear things that maybe sports suggest, you know, 2020 would be a lost year. Maybe that should be the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, because people need to remember, too, is that, you know, say the see if, you know, right now, I think there are three cities currently, uh, Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto. And correct me if I'm wrong, if there's something for Vancouver uh, and the others. But those are the three cities currently that have basically a lockdown on any sporting events, cultural events, et cetera, et cetera, until July 1st. Um, that may have what prompted or been a part of the decision for the CFL. Um, but, you know, the other thing we need to think about too, Cliff, is the the players coming across the border because we don't know when the restrictions will be will will be lessened for uh, at the U.S.-Canada border. Yeah, that's going to be huge because otherwise you'd have to have an all Canadian CFL. And is that, is that a possibility? Is that something that's feasible? And quite frankly, I don't know if that would really fly. I mean, and Cliff, like you just said, how could you deny a guy that lives is American who lives in Winnipeg and stays here in the off season? This is true. You can't play or, you know, crossing that border is, you know, quite frankly, right now, I don't want anybody crossing that border into British Columbia. Just like when you hear the news, a small community in Quebec or in British Columbia, like, say, Tofino, out in the western west coast of Vancouver, they don't want anybody coming to Tofino right now, and rightly so. Yeah. So it's the travel, as you guys say, across that border that that's got to change early. For, for, us, too, for us, too, though, being, you know, Quebec being the epicenter of Canada, right next to the epicenter of the U.S., <laughs> New York, you know, it... <laughs> You know, it, it it's yeah. It's I don't know. It's it, it's going to be interesting. So, you know, if if the if they end up canceling the season, you know what? As long as we can get it back to some normalcy, I'll be happy with that. My hope is just that any sport that doesn't play will be able to return. So, I mean, it's and it's not just us. Yeah. You know, you know, we, you have made you have uh, minor hockey. You got the you know major juniors. You got. Baseball, basketball, I know those, those states are really reside in the U.S., but, I mean, there's still everything. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> Movies, you name it. Yeah. Just, uh, it's, can't stress enough, like we are told all the day, uh, every single day, all the same sets of instructions we hear constantly. I'm listening. That's all I know. I know that I, you're talking about the reports, too. I, I kind of, 
I was I used to listen to to you know our prime minister Justin Trudeau and then listen to uh, our premier you know uh, Legault uh, for his things and to me I'm like I don't want to hear it now. <laughs> Let me as I you know. said I, I just want to see the data if there is a if the cur- if the percentages are going down for people who have it but are not being hospitalized that's a positive I think that's one of the talking points they're using here in Quebec right now which is a good it is it's positive. Um, but it's like saying somebody our strategy is to flatten the curve no you're not no it isn't your strategy is doing the right things the result is flattening the curve mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so these people would have nothing else to say like the guy that can bury read his name to the south uh, of us yeah and you know what it's like you just said tim give me the data tell me what is the result of all the efforts we've made and i feel for the people in Quebec, because it is the epicenter, and wow, just you just hope. Exactly, uh, but I think to be honest, and I think Cliff will, Cliff will agree with me that uh, despite how polarizing our premier could was before in the past, he has done a very good job in getting us the information. Uh, same thing with Trudeau, being able to speak how he is speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, speaking moistly aside, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I do agree with you, Tim. I, I think if you take politics out of it, regardless of where what side you lean on, whether you're left or right or anything like that, I think regardless of all that, I think the leaders that we have in place, both provincially and federally. Yeah. By and large, have been doing a good job. Has this been perfect? Absolutely not. No, no one's ever going to do a perfect job when it comes to something like this. Because how do you prepare for something like how? How, do, how can you prepare for something like this? You just have to do the best you can. And I think, by and large, at least, like I said, Premier of Quebec and the Prime Minister, for the most part, have been doing a pretty good job as far as getting information out, trying to keep people informed, trying to make sure that people are aware of what they have to do to whether it's flatten the curve or just be safe as far yeah. as, you know, try, but taking those preventive measures to protect yourself as much as possible because there's no guarantee you're not going to get this virus. But what you can prevent is, you know, or what you can take precaution for is doing those things, as I said, to try and lessen your chances of that happening. So, and I think by and large, they've done a good job of getting the message out. And like I said, at this point now, yeah, we just want to focus on the data. We want to get some hard numbers to see where things are going. And is are, are all these steps that we're taking, are are they working? And I want to believe, by and large, they are. Yes, we're still seeing some people not necessarily following the instructions properly, but I, I want to believe, by and large, most people have been, and eventually the results are going to come. So I'm, I'm kind of at that point too. Is like, just tell me what I want to hear. Like, give me the give me the hard numbers, and let's see if we're making a difference or not. Exactly, and also props. Wait, at least we, Cliff, you and I have to also give props. To our mayor also, because she's taken some steps above and beyond what the what the but what the province has put into place too. And you know, they they may be like I said they may be not what people want to hear, but you know, it's it's not really micromanaging. I just it's just something that I had wished I wished upon everybody in the U.S. Because uh, as we have seen up here from up north, um, we feel for you and. Uh, I, I think you know what if every state and I can't speak for every state because we're all, you know we're in the East Coast and I know you could probably if you wanted to you could, you could speak onto it uh, onto it more Steve but 
seeing what uh, Governor Cuomo is doing in New York has been absolutely fantastic, considering that they are the epicenter of the U.S. I can comment on that. Yeah. I can tell you firsthand about that. We watch, my wife and I, um, you know, we, we kind of do different things throughout the day around our house and working and doing whatever we do. But we get together in front of Chris Cuomo mm-hmm. in the evening. And he has these back and forth with his brother, the governor of the state of New York. Um, and we feed off that. It, it makes a difference to us. And I really am impressed. In BC, the, the power and good f- feeling and hope comes from our provincial health officer mm-hmm. and our minister of health. Our premier tends to stay out of it. My disappointment comes from some of the mayors, perhaps, who say nothing or too much. But the... I'll tell you, in the state of New York, it's it's absolutely dreadful. But without the leadership they have, it'd be even worse. Yeah. And so, kudos to, um, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo and his brother Chris, who's going through it right now. I know that that's the other thing too. Yeah, yeah. We we watch that at night, and so we we're just trying to not over inundate ourselves with co- with COVID nineteen information, but at least stay informed and and maybe look ahead a little bit, but. It's hard when, when so many people that you love are, you know, endangered. But know, yeah. we're doing our best, like you. Um, trying to, I'm trying to spin this thing and turn this to turn this conversation around where we can talk about. Uh, I'll take, you know, it's funny. It's weird that I don't actually have a, an idea of what uh, or a suggestion to make for a topic here. But I'm going to turn this around a little bit, and you guys want to. It may it can be COVID related, it can be sport obviously sports related, but anything anything on your minds, guys, that you want to uh, on a topic that you might want to bring up, Cliff or Steve? Well, one thing I've been sort of thinking about, I mean, like like I said, it's so hard to you know look ahead given with all that's going on. But the one thing that I've been sort of thinking about more than anything else is all the changes that the Alouettes have been making in the off season, like. You're talking about free agency, talking about a new president and general manager. And that was supposed to be the one thing that we, you and I were looking forward to was yeah. how is this all, how's this all going to play out? We, we knew what was going to happen new as far as, yeah. And I'm excited about those changes. I really am. I think we're going to get back to it. I really am positive about that. And just to see the changes that different teams have made, especially in Montreal, where I'm hoping that, um, you know, it can really be, a big improvement over, you know, this is, it's not, the historical precedent is that Montreal um, runs into these problems at times, but always comes back strong. And, you know, the quality of the team has improved a tremendous amount. So I think our league has parity. There's lots to be happy about. If we can get through this social crisis, and we will, um, all the teams like the Lions improve themselves tremendously through free agency, I think. Yeah. So, uh, so if got we a block from Mike Riley. Yeah. So, so if we play in BC this year, does this does that mean the Alouettes are going to win in BC this year? <laughs> <laughs> well, which, which historically <laughs> is no. <laughs> uh, my uh, favoritism around the league is, of course, eleven point one percent per team. Uh, <laughs> however, we'll allow the Lions eleven point two percent. How about that? <laughs> and I. Uh, I was asked that question the other day about oh, really? what mattered the most, and I said, you know what? I don't care what year, what age, every player's the same to me, and you just have to 
you, we make decisions that affect their compensation, that affect um, their how their performance is portrayed. And I said that to the general managers in the presentations I've been making. You know what? Um, we need to give you information that helps you determine how good they are and do they belong on your team. Yeah. And if they do and they are, then they need to be rewarded for that. So that's kind of what we do. And I think about that every now and then. And that's a good thing. I Yeah, I want I want sports to come back, obviously. You know, um, it's – and I agree with you too, Cliff. You know, we have some up-and-comers about free agency. We had some players that, that, uh, that I've said many a time that have, that have come up from the Arena League. And I'm really curious to see how they were going to take to the game. Uh, these guys, you know, they're stars in the in the arena league, and they're coming up here for the first time. And uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's obviously I was looking forward to this because it's uh, we finally have a, a quarterback. I mean, you wouldn't pay a quarterback, you know, one point two million as they are for for Vernon Adams if they didn't think he was, you know, the guy. So it's well, it, it, he's it, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and he's and he's and he's and he's a nice guy. That, that's that's the main thing too, and I think that's that that's that goes to the person itself, but it also works well with the CFL because I, I find that you know there isn't as much interaction in the NFL uh, with the players and your stars, uh, but here I, I, it makes me wonder. It, but money aside, I think the league and the experience that they have humbles them, even if they don't go to the NFL or get a shot with the NFL. I think it humbles them because they see how sports – I don't want to say should be played, but it, they see how sports is played in Canada and how they are treated more of hu- more like human beings rather than just uh, movie stars. I don't know. I, I'm not using the right analogy there, guys, but I think – I hope you understand I, I, what I'm saying. I think what you're trying to say is like you, we see them more as contemporaries, or at least a lot more than we would say an NFL star or even an NHL star. Like these are guys that I want to say are on our level, but they're a little bit closer to our level in the sense that, okay, yes, they are getting paid to play a game, but they're not getting paid stupid amounts of money or that we have no idea like how they're living kind of thing. Like they're in that sort of working class idea that, most of us are in as well. So yeah. I think, and I think that's what helps make this league so appealing for a lot of people is the fact that, Hey, these are regular guys that certainly have a lot of talent and are being rewarded for it, but not to the point where they're in a completely other atmosphere altogether. Like they're basically on our level or at least a lot closer. Guys. Yeah. I'll, t- yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you my, uh, my courtside story. When I worked for the Grizzlies one day, I was, I was kind of a uh, hyper about, courtside because I was responsible for a game operation. So anything that happened on the court, the baskets was my responsibility. So I was just in pregame, always out at the scorer's table, two hours before the game. About 5.30, I'm just got my head down and I'm kind of focused on testing the scoreboard and this blur, this shadow comes over the top of my head. <laughs> and and I kind of wonder, what was that? And I looked up and I saw this guy's you know, eye level. I saw this guy's uh, belt. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's good. And I started looking up and up, and we're playing the Lakers that night. So that was interesting. And uh, it was Shaquille O'Neal. So he was standing there, and he didn't know me, and I didn't really want to pretend that I knew him other than just what he looked like. So he says, "Uh, how's it going? I said, "Uh, 
fine. How about you? <laughs> Going okay? And he says, yeah, it's great. And he says, I like Vancouver. It's nice. I said, terrific. So do I. <laughs> and he laughed. And I said, uh, so everything, you know, good luck tonight. Have a good one. He goes, yeah, just checking on you. I said, thank you. That's really nice. Of you. He says, have a good day. Off he goes. Wow. He's just a regular, ordinary guy as opposed to uh, a guy who he's long since retired, so I can actually say his name. Um, used to play for the Seattle Supersonics, Gary Payton. Okay, yeah. And Gary and I didn't get along very well. And uh, he knew it, and I knew it. And Because he, he was one of those guys that his attitude was, let's put it this way, not quite like Shaquille's. And uh, his, uh, his sense of self was somewhat, uh, somewhat different than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got into a fight at the courts, <laughs> at courtside, in the middle of a game. Oh, boy. Yeah. It, 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 it turned out badly for both of us. <laughs> well, not for me, but <laughs> this happened in 1995. I have to tell you this. Gary, since we're talking about CFL and our regular guys, they yeah. are, they truly are. Gary was not. And so uh, in basketball, you have to come to the scorer's table and to where the official scorer is to check into the game. You can't walk off the bench into the game. And so being quite close to the officials and having to work together, you communicate without words through the game. And so Gary, typically what a starter in the NBA does, he plays the first 10, 11 minutes, goes to the bench for the last minute of the first quarter, sits the break, right? And then three or four minutes and comes back in halfway through the second quarter and finishes the half. Well, Gary leaves the game. And then in the second quarter, he goes to go back into the game, walks straight into the onto the court. Doesn't even consider us. And so the referee, Bennett Salvatore, looks over at me and says, uh, didn't say a word, just looks at me. And I go like this. I shake my head. And so <laughs> he goes, Gary, Gary, and you know, Gary's making like $12 million a year and I'm making 50 cents a year. And so he, he says, Gary, you can't come in the game. And he goes, why not? And he says, just look over there. And uh, I'm going shaking my head. And uh, so Gary comes over and says words I hadn't heard of to that point in my life. And uh, he called me everything, including a homer. And I said, Gary, you know and I know you didn't do what you're supposed to do. So he grumbles, and then the whistle goes five seconds later, and in he goes. In the second half, same pattern. But this time, he walks all the way down to the scorer's table, stops in front of me, and asks me, can I go in the game? (laughs) Gary... You are more than welcome. <laughs> and he, he kind of looked at me and he smirked a little bit. And I said, Gary, have a good one. Wow. <laughs> and that's the power of just a CFL smile. <laughs> no? I like that. Don't take any guff from anybody. No, no. Don't, oh. t- don't take any guff from Steve. <laughs> we were such a bad team <laughs> that we needed to have some success somewhere. <laughs> you gotta get your wins where you get them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I put that in the win column. That that one, the loss column was George. Remember a basketball player named George Mirasan, seven foot eight. Yeah. Well, his feet were the, the equivalent. His feet were like size twenty something. Like Shaq, I think Shaq has huge feet too. Yeah, well, George wasn't playing that night, so he comes up, and he is just. You know, shooting the crap with me before the game, and he he decides he wants to tie his shoe, so he puts his shoe 
up on the scorer's table. And his foot is so long. This is not, this is a true story. This is not a word of a lie. His foot is so long that it touched the scoring control thing. And he turned the clock off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the pregame clock counts down. And in a basketball, in an NBA game, it's really important. Because in the locker room, they have that clock. And they come out and they determine what they do from that clock. Well, he turned it off and I never noticed. Oh, no. For about 10 minutes. And finally, I looked up and the clock's not moving. And I, oh, crap. So now, now the teams think that there's 20 minutes to go and there's only 10. Well, they're supposed to be out there already. Well, Jeez. that didn't go well. And it was all because he turned it off. <laughs> I turned it on again. I went in the locker room and explained and they were nice about it. And nobody yelled at me. But, you know... I must have a hundred stories like that that have filed away somewhere. You laugh at somebody, now, but somebody needs I wasn't to, laughing then. Somebody needs to get you on on a Vancouver historical podcast or a show just to hear your stories. Well, the the Pearl Harbor Day basketball hoop one's a good one. That's an excellent one. Um, what's another one? Oh, the uh, running out to um, Rona to get a, a three point line. Oh God! <laughs> for, for the arena in Calgary, that was really special because um, we had a game at one o'clock, and uh, oh, the ice coming through the floor—that oh, was a good. I heard, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's really special when you're playing basketball, mm-hmm. safe as can be. Oh yeah, all, all those or the time the basketball hoop broke and our spare <laughs> was 24 miles away. Oh gosh, that oh, was Lord. a good. One. Uh, I th- this is a, a good segue, I think, to to lead to, uh, to finish the show on Cliff. Excellent. I gotta go have some dinner. Yeah. Cliff, but, let's yeah. let's Cliff, let's hear your story. My story? Yes. Let's hear a story that happened to you, sports related, CFO related, whatever. Just to to perk to, to end the show on a positive note. Because then I'll then I'll do mine. I have one minute and I have to go. So this okay, kill, kill me with it. Okay, go oh jeez, put it on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, thirty seconds here. I'll, I'll say mine. I'll say mine. So uh, okay. before the Arena Football League folded, I had the pleasure of it was my you know I've been to many Arena Football League championship game and for the very first time as I've been a, a, a fan for uh, since since the, the the league began and seeing my first game ever in 1993 at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was my last ever after it, and it being my last ever AFL game. It was at the same exact arena where my Arena Football League quote unquote career started as a fan, but for the very first time in a, for the uh, for the uh, for media day for the very first time, I was able to meet one of the stars that I idolized I idolized as a fan, and I got to meet, talk, and take a picture with uh, the great touchdown Eddie Brown, um, which uh-huh. is which is Antonio Brown's father. Uh, NFL wide receiver Antonio Brown's father, and cool. I have that picture, and that's something that I'm always going to remember. Knowing that for me, that my first ever game was in Albany, my last ever AFL game was in Albany. It, <laughs> if that's my career, I was that's to me that that was the day I finally got to do something I had not been able to do. Uh, but just there for me, there are just so many other stories. Cliff, you got a 30 second story. I hate to put you on, on the spot. Yeah, I gotta I gotta run now. But go ahead. All right. Well, uh, I guess the. Uh... How about the time I interviewed a Cy Young winner in Pedro Martinez uh, when I was in college? That was pretty uh, pretty exciting. Go. 
Those things are, they stay with you, don't they? Oh. They do, and it was one of those. It was one of those instances. It was just totally by happenstance. I was lucky enough to be able to get a press pass, just working for my college newspaper. Go to the expo's home opener, and lo and behold, there I am out in the field talking with uh, certain players and all that. And here comes Pedro Martinez, like, "Hey, you got a minute?" And, like, just start talking with him, oh, shoot the shit. Cool. And, that's cool. And then lo and behold, that was the year that he won the Cy Young. So I can now say oh, on my gosh. resume that I've interviewed a Cy Young winner. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we're all part of the CFL family, and this is just what we're trying to do is just to talk about what's happening now and and uh, converse with our friends, even though we may be at a distance. Uh, I appreciate you both. Uh, remind everybody, if you want to listen to any other shows, head o- basically head over to all of our social social media outlets to find out where we are or any place where you can find a podcast or head over to alowitzflightdeck.ca. But for everybody here, at the Alowitz Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, for Steve Daniel, and Tim Capper. Ron, final approach. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.